We are about to celebrate Chag Zman Matan Torasenu. So there's a very curious minhag that many of us are familiar with, and that is that many people have the practice, have the custom to eat a meal that is milchik, that is dairy, over the course of Yamtiv. So what is that all about? The Ramah actually tells us that this is an age-old practice in Simon Tafsadi Dalit, but the Ramah doesn't really explain what the reason for that practice is. Or there are many others who give interpretations and explanations why this should be the case. The Ramah himself says that the basic reason why we do it is because just like on Leil HaSeder, when we sit down on Pesach night, we do something to remind us of the Karbanos, of both the Karban Pesach and the Karban Chagiga, which is why we have Shnei Tavshilin, that's why we have two cooked items that are going to be on the Ka'ara, that reminds us of what was in the times of the Beis HaMikdash. So too, says the Ramah, we're supposed to do in our generation, when we celebrate Shavuos, something that is going to remind us of what once was in the days of the Beis HaMikdash. Now, what was in the days of the Beis HaMikdash? On Shavuos, that is special carbon of the Shtei HaLechem. The Shtei HaLechem was two loaves of bread. So what does that have to do with milchiks and fleshiks? Well, when you have two different meals, you're not going to use the same loaf of bread for the milchik meal as you're going to for the fleshik meal because Shulchan Aruch says that would not be something that is advisable because maybe something fleshik got on the bread. If you're going to use it at the milchik meal, maybe you're eating milk and meat together. So therefore, the custom has developed that we always have a loaf of bread for the milchig meal, a loaf of med for the fleshig meal. And as a result of that, says the Ramah, we try to remind ourselves, just like Pesach night, of the carbon that was once offered in the days of the Beis HaMikdash on Shavuos. It's a stretch. It's definitely a stretch. And that is why, because it's a stretch, that is why many of the other achronim give other kinds of reasons as to what this is all about. So the reason that the Mishnah Brewer writes in Simitav Tzadi Dalit, a fascinating interpretation, he says the reason why is because on Matan Torah, we celebrate the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us a whole list of Torah and mitzvahs. Now, when he gave us the Torah and mitzvahs, this was something that was new to us. We weren't familiar with all this before. Bris Mila, we already knew from Avram Avinu. Gid Anasha, we knew from Yaakov Avinu. But for the most part, everything else, just very few exceptions, everything else we knew only post Matan Torah. One of those halachas was Hilchas Kashrus. So what happens? The Torah was given on Shabbos. And what happens immediately after the Torah is given? HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us all the laws of Kashrus. So before you eat an animal, you have to shecht it. And this is the way that you have to prepare it. And you have to have pots and pans, milk, explosives, everything. So we didn't know any of this, but now we became aware. So what are we going to do? All the pots and pans that we used before are going to be treif because we cooked inside of those pots and pans all the treif of meat that was something that was no longer acceptable for us to consume. So the only thing that was left for them to eat on that Shabbos after Matan Torah was milchiks, because that comes straight from the cow, straight from the animal, and that's why Zecher to the Matan Torah, Zecher to that experience of only eating milk, because that was the only thing left for them to eat, that is why we have milchiks in our generation. Okay, interesting idea. Another idea that is quoted by the Achronim, the Arach HaShulchan writes like this, he says, the Mishnah Burah says it as well, that the Torah, as we know, the Pasuk says in Shir Hashirim, Dvash, V'chalav tachas l'shonech. means that when we're talking about the experience of Torah, the Torah is nimshala l'dvash and t'chalav. And therefore, since the Torah is nimshala l'chalav, that is why we have the minhag b'zman hazeh to eat a milchig meal on Shavuos to remind us of that experience of, of, uh, of Kabbalah Torah and how sweet the Torah is, how important it is for all of us. Now, based on that, the Mishnah Bura says we should also have some kind of dvash, we should have something sweet. And that's why we eat sweet things on Shavuos. I don't think anybody here doesn't have dessert on Shavuos, and that's why we do that. 
because we want to show the sweetness of Torah and the importance of Torah. Rav Asher Weiss once mentioned to me that when we talk about the description of Torah, we say, Dvash v'chalav tachas l'shonech. That's the Pasuk in Shir Ashir. Where do you have a similar phrase, but the other way around? What? When we describe Eretz Yisrael, how do we describe it? Eretz it's the other way around. So why do we say, when we talk about learning Torah, we say that dvash v'chalav tachas l'shonech. We first mention the dvash. When we talk about Eretz Yisrael, we first say that it's an Eretz that has chalav v'dvash. Why is it flipped in the order? So he explained very beautifully as follows. He said perhaps the reason why is because when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is trying to convince the people that they should have an interest in the land, how does he have to sell the land of Eretz Yisrael? What does he have to tell us in order for us to be interested in going? The first thing we need to know is that we have the basics, we have the essentials. Are we going to be able to survive? The Baraglim come back and they tell us that it's an Eretz Ocheles Yoshveha and you're never going to be successful and you'll never prosper there. So we give up, forget it, what am I going to do? I'm not going to be able to make a Parnassah, I'm not going to be able to fight wars against these giants. HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises us no. Eretz Yisrael, first of all, has all the essentials. Chalav is the most essential thing that you need. On top of the essentials, Eretz Yisrael also has Mishubachas Mikol HaRatzos. It has everything in the world. And therefore, the Torah, when describing Eretz Yisrael to us, says that it is an Eretz that is filled with Chalav, with the essentials. And on top of that, you also have the Dvash. You have everything you can need. When we talk about the experience of Torah, the first thing we need to establish is a sweetness of Torah. Once a person loves Liban Torah, once a person is engaged because they're excited by it, then everything's going to be easier for them to do. Everything's going to be easier for them to relate to. And the first thing we need to encourage people when learning Torah is to feel the sweetness. That's what we daven every day. Why do we say that? We don't say that before we shake lulav. The answer is because in order for us to feel the excitement about having this experience of learning Torah, that will make us want to do more of it. When we talk about learning Torah, we say, the first thing one needs to do to get themselves into the mood of learning Torah is to whet their appetite, to be excited about it. After you do that, way down the line, you'll sit and open a Gemara Baba Basra. may not be so exciting in the middle when it talks about things that you might not fully understand when you're learning Zvachim and Menachos, all the drushes back and forth. Do we have to learn that part of Torah also? Of course we have to. Do we have to understand it? Yes. But do you start with that? No, you don't start with that. You start with something that's going to engage you with the Dvash of Torah, the Duvshah Shal Torah, and that is the way that we all need to engage the uh, learning and the study of Torah. So that says the Mishnabura is the reason why we have Ma'chalei Chalav on Shavuos, because we want to remind ourselves of that Pashuk, Dvash V'chalav Tachas Deshonech. But finally, the reason why is because the Bnei Saskar has a very fascinating reason that I've always been intrigued by. Bnei Saskar introduces us to a Gemara. Chazal tell us, I'm sorry, the Medrash tells us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu told the Malachi HaSharis that he was going to give the Torah to the Jewish people. Malachi HaSharis are very upset by that and they say, Tain Why are you giving the Torah to humanity? You should keep the Torah by us. After all, we are Malachim. We're not going to ruin the Torah. The human beings all have evil inclinations. They're going to do terrible things. They're not going to do what you want them to do. Don't give the Torah to the Jewish people. And what argument do they use as why we are unworthy? What is the argument they use? They say, what do they say? Avram Avinu, something to do with the Malachim, right? He has an encounter with the Malachim. That's what we read about in Chumash. So what is the Taina? HaKadosh Baruch Hu says back to the Malachim, you think you're going to get the Torah? You didn't follow the rule of the Torah when you went to visit Avram Avinu. Which rule did they violate? The Torah says, It says you're not allowed to eat Basar B'chalav. And what are we told by their visit to Avram Avinu? It says he takes Chema B'chalav. It says that Avram Avinu takes 
uh, some of the finest meats, and then he mixes it together with chalav, with, uh, with dairy, and he feeds it to the malachim. How did you eat that? HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you're not right to have the Torah. After all, you violated the laws of the Torah. And with that is the winning argument. That's how HaKadosh Baruch Hu ended up giving the Torah to the Jewish people. That's what the Medrash says. Now, just parenthetically, there's a very interesting idea here. There's a sefer on Chumash called Chanukah Satorah. Chanukah Satorah is a fascinating sefer. It's by the Rebbe of Heschel. He was the Rebbe of the Shach. And he has very interesting ideas in his questions on Chumash. Always has something very out of the box. And here he says, let's analyze this Medrash for a minute. When you think about the Medrash, what did HaKadosh Baruch Hu say? How did you violate the laws of the Torah and eat Basa B'chalav and Abraham Avinu's house? You're against the Torah that says, And the Malachim just sit there silently, they don't know what to say. Why couldn't they respond as follows? Doesn't the Torah say three times, And we learn that that means you're not allowed to be you're not allowed to consume and you're not allowed to have enough from So we have the question back on Avram Avinu. After all, Avram Avinu fed us How did he make it? Obviously, he cooked it in the pot, and then he brought it out to the table. So, if you're blaming us for violating Los Avashar Gadiba Chalevimo, blame Avram Avinu. He's the one who did the wrong. We only followed him, but he did wrong first. And if you're not thinking that we're worthy of the Torah because we violated Los Avashar Gadiba, what about him? Why are his descendants ready for the Torah? That's the question of the Rebbe of Heshel. Must be, says the Rebbe of Heshel, that Avram Avinu didn't cook the Basar Bachalab. And therefore, he didn't violate any Avera. So he comes out to the table. He serves them Basar here, Chalav there. He didn't cook it. And therefore, Avram Avinu is innocent. You're the ones who are guilty. But what do you mean? If you don't cook Basar and Chalav, then there's no Isser. The Torah never said that it's Asr to eat Basar and Chalav even together at the same time. There's no problem. So then what's the issue? Either Avram Avinu did wrong, and then we did wrong like him, or Avram Avinu did right, and we did right just like him. So what's the, what's the issue here? Fascinating kasha. So it happens to be the stipler has a very interesting suggestion where he writes in the Sefer Kielis Yaakov, maybe the answer, not Kielis Yaakov, in the Sefer on Chumash, uh, what's it called again? Birchas Peretz, I think. So he writes in that Sefer that perhaps the answer is that you're right. Avram Avinu brought out to the table Basar and the next plate had Chalav. And then what happened? The Malachi Asharis ate it. But we know that Malachim are made of Eish. So he said once they ate it, then it got cooked inside of them and that's how they violated Okay, this is fancy Fancy uh, answers that are given. But the question is very compelling. It's very interesting. But because of that medrash that tells us the exchange of why we were the ones who won over to get the Torah from the Malachi Asharis was based on that original story of Basar B'chalav with Avram Avinu. Because of that, that is why we have the Minhag, says the Bnei Yisachar, to eat Chalav today, to remind us of that amazing exchange, unusual, strange, hard to believe, hard to understand that exchange. But that's really the reason, says the Bnei Yisachar, why we have this minhag to do this today. So when doing so, we have to be aware of the fact that uh, that there are prohibitions about eating basar and chalav together. While it's true that the Torah itself only says that we have a prohibition to eat basar and chalav that are cooked together, and if you have something that is not mavushal together, that would not be a problem at all. But still, the Gemara tells us in Maseches Chulin that we have all kinds of harchakos. We have all kinds of safeguards that we limit the amount of mixture of basar and chalav together, even when they are not going to be cooked together. So says the Gemara Mesechus Chulin Kufei, how much does a person have to wait between eating basar and eating chalav? Obviously, they're not cooked together. You have a meat meal, and then you want to go have some milk. What is the answer? Says the Gemara, not so clear. So listen to the following. Amar Mar Ukva. Mar Ukva said, Analaha Milsa, when it comes to this issue of eating milk after one has consumed meat, Analaha milsa, 
Kechala bar chamer The same difference that you have between vinegar and wine, obviously vinegar is not as tasty as wine, vinegar is spo- spoiled wine. So he says, I, compared to my father, I'm like spoiled wine. Why? Because my father had a big chumrah. Whenever my father used to have milk, used to have meat, he would wait a whole day until he would have uh, meat, until, until he would have milk. He would wait a full day until he allowed himself to have milk. And I am not that way. What do I do? I just wait from one suuda to the next. That's all I do. So first of all, it's very hard to understand that. It's hard to understand because the, the Achronim ask, sometimes a person looks at a chumrah that their father has and you say, I'm not holding by that, right? You say, my father has a chumrah that he doesn't carry in an Erev. Okay, so I have young children. It's not so easy not to carry in an Erev. So what am I going to do? So I say, I'm like, I also don't carry in the Erev. But okay, if let's say that would be an example. So what would you say? I'm like vinegar to wine when you compare me to my father. Why? Because my father has a chumrah not to carry in the Erev. And I, with my kid, I'm, I'm in the Erev all the time. Maybe you can say that. But here, I don't understand. You're saying your father is so much greater than you. But you're not talking about something that's not attainable. You're talking about something, just change your practice. Just change the way you behave. You're bemoaning the fact that you're not as great as your father, so do the same thing he did. What's the big deal? Stop having milk after, stop having milk after meat. Don't wait just for the next suda. Wait another 24 hours just like your father did, and then you'll be just like him. Don't you want to be Yain Meshubach like him? So that's the question that was asked by, uh, by a number of the they try to explain what that's all about. And what they say is that Judaism in general is something that we have to take as a gradual, steady, successive process. It's not something that you go from one day to the next and you try to take everything upon yourself. It's very hard to swallow all of that, which is why we have the mitzvah of chinuch. And the Gemara tells us that for each mitzvah of chinuch, we have a different age of when we teach a child to put on tefillin, when we teach a child to blow shofar, when we teach a child to do all the different things. It doesn't all happen at the same time because you have to do it in a gradual process. The reason why we have the mitzvah of Chinuch is because we want to slowly encourage the child that they should take on different things along the way. By the time there'll be a gadol, then you'll be ready to do it. But imagine if they came into adulthood and we said, from one moment to the next, you now have to observe everything. That would be impossible for them. So everything has to be a gradual process. And as a result of that, he said, my father was so much greater than me. One example of his greatness was, this is what he did. But for me, that's not where I'm up to right now. I can't just take it upon myself. It wouldn't even make sense. Rav Amar once told me a very interesting uh, insight when he was here two times ago. So he told me an insight on the Pasuk, the Arachayim HaKadosh. I never looked it up. But the Arachayim HaKadosh has a question. What does it mean, Hashem Hashem So we know the Torah and the Aserah Sadibros is saying, don't say the name of Hashem in vain. But the Arachayim HaKadosh suggests that perhaps it also means that also might mean that don't carry the banner of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name. Don't make an outward appearance like you are representing HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but it's all Lashav. But inside, you really don't feel it. Inside, you really don't care. When you're in the privacy of your own home, you don't behave that way. It's just outwardly, when you're with other people, you're carrying the banner. You're lifting the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That doesn't work. People see through you. And the Arachayim HaKadosh says, that's perhaps another interpretation in Losisa, Shame Hashem that you have to be faithful to Akadish Baruch Hu through and through. It's not just something that is the motions that we do. It's not just the showing up to shul. It's not just the being in the community. It's in the privacy of my own life. It's in my own house where I also have to exhibit those kinds of midos, those kinds of behaviors that Akadish Baruch Hu would expect of me. Sir so Amar went on to that and he said that basically this is what it's all about. Sometimes people take humors upon themselves 
and it really doesn't fit them. They're at a point in life where it doesn't make any sense to be doing that chumrah. You're not going to carry in the air when meanwhile you're, you're not so careful and kashrus. Does that really make sense? So don't take chumras upon yourself when it's lashav, when it's really not who you are. He piggybacked on this idea of the Yerachayim HaKadosh, and he said perhaps that's what it means. means don't be disproportionate in the different things that you are or are not doing. And that perhaps is why Marukva says, although my father had this amazing practice where he used to wait an entire day, that's not who I am. I'm not up to there right now. Maybe someday in life I'll get to that point, but right now that's not where I'm up to, and therefore it would not make sense. So what we have to remember is, when we're talking about the difference, the separation between eating milk and eating meat, and one after the other in succession, we're talking about a din banan on top of dirabanan on top of a dirabanan. Why? Because the original iser in the Torah was you're not allowed to have meat and milk cooked together. From that, we made a harchaka. What did the harchaka tell us? In Yeridea Simon Peches, the Shulchan Aruch says that the chazal were machmer, that you're not allowed to have basar and chalav being served at the same table at the same time. That's already chumra number one midirabanan. Then they were machmer even more and they said, you're not only not allowed to have basar and chalav cooked together, not only not allowed to have basar and chalav served at the same table together, but you're not even allowed to have basar and chalav eaten in succession one after the other. That's also a chumrah. But realize, all of this is just a chumrah de Rabbanan. And because of that, that is why we're makel for a chola. So we'll see in a second. So we'll see in a second why. That's really a very good question. Why is it only in one direction? In fact, when the Gemara Meseches Chulin opens the discussion, the Gemara first starts the other way. The Gemara says, after you eat chalav, how long do you have to eat, wait to eat basar? Then the Gemara switches and says, no, let's talk about the other way around. But why is it that we have this prohibition? Where the Chumr de Rabbanon come from? Why is it that we're not supposed to have chalav, that we're not supposed to have dairy after we eat meat? And the answer to that is really subject to a machlokas harishonim. Rashi and the Ramam disagree. They didn't live at the same time. But Rashi and the Ramam disagree as to what the impetus for this Takanas Chachamim was. Rashi says the reason why is because when a person eats fleshigs, when a person eats meat, it's heavy. And it's nidbak bepeh umarach betamo. Sometimes the taste lingers in your throat. And you're going to continue to have that taste for longer than just the meal that you're eating. And therefore Rashi says that is why we've developed the custom that we wait after consuming meat until we are comfortable eating milchiks. Now, again, he doesn't say how long. The Gemara doesn't say how long. The Gemara just says you wait from one suda to the next. We'll get to that in a minute. The Ramam says that is not the reason why. The Ramam says there's a very practical consideration. Says the Ramam, you're going to be eating pulled brisket, right? And while you're doing that, or you're eating the, the, from the carving station, whatever it is, after you're doing that, you're going to have basar shenidbak ben ashinayim. You're going to have things that are stuck in your teeth. Now, they didn't used to have toothpicks like we have today, and they didn't have floss, and that, says the Rambam, is the reason why there was concern. So it's, what I find very interesting is the Shemir Shabbos Kalchasa raises an issue. If we're really concerned that after a person eats meat, they're maybe going to have things stuck in their teeth, and that is why before going to the mikvah, you have to floss in order to make sure there's no chatzitza in the teeth. And that's why we make sure not to have milk after we eat meat. Fine, all of those things. And that's also why on the day of going to the mikvah, the halach is you're not supposed to have meat before you go to the mikvah because we're concerned that maybe it's going to be stuck in your teeth and then it's going to be a chatzitza. So because of that, we have all of these halachas. Says the Shemir Shabbos Kachasa, why don't we say that when a person eats meat on Shabbos, they're not allowed to walk outside? Wouldn't that be hotza? If I have something in between my teeth? You're carrying outside. Too small. What? Too small. Too small. Is that true that it's too small? So the Gemara says in Masech Shabbos, each one of the items has a different shear for Hotsa and Shabbos. So let's say a needle is very small. 
So would I violate hotzah on a needle instead of a piece of paper or a book? How big does something have to be? That's a good question. So the Gemara actually has pages and pages. Daf Gemara, one after the other, where it discusses every single item, how big it, how big or small it needs to be in order to violate. So the Shemir Shabbos Kachasa discusses this point. Why don't we say that before you go out into the street on Shabbos, if you don't have an Arab in town, you have to floss. Otherwise, you don't have a right to. Don't we know that the Ramam says over here, Basar ben Hashimayim is a concern. It's so much a concern that I'm not allowed to have ice cream. So if I'm not allowed to have ice cream, why are we not concerned that you're going to walk outside and eat? I'm sorry, and have Basar ben Hashimayim. Either way, those are the two reasons given by the Rishonim, either because the Tam is Befiv, either because the taste is going to linger in your mouth, or because you're going to have potentially some meat that is stuck in your teeth, and when you go to eat the uh, milk, that's going to then get mixed up. What would be a nafkamina? Nafkamina that some achronim give, it's nauseating for me even to, to think about this, but the nafkamina that the achronim give is if you're chewing something for a child. right? Let's say you have a piece of meat that you want the child to eat, but it's too big. So they didn't used to have a fork and knife like we have today. So what did a parent do? They took a big piece of meat, took a little bite out of it, gave it to the child to eat. Now, we don't do that today, but that's the nafkamina they give. If you hold like the Ramam's reason that we're concerned about Basar bin Ashinayim, then even if I just bite into it for a child and I'm not swallowing anything, I have to still be concerned that this Basar bin Ashinayim, according to Rashi, that the concern is just that I'm going to have the tam, nigra, refiv, that I'm going to have the taste of the meat in my mouth, then maybe I would say that this wouldn't be relevant because after all, you don't have the taste in your mouth because you just bit it and gave it to the child right away. Okay, that's not such a relevant nafkamina. There are others that are mentioned as well, but those are the two reasons mentioned in the Rishonim, and the Shulchan Aruch is machmer like both. Shulchan Aruch says in Simon Peites and Yerodeya that we have to adopt both positions, both Rashi and the Rambam, and therefore he says there are going to be certain flimmers. Now, Ramosha Feinstein states the obvious, which probably doesn't have to be said, but Ramosha said, let's say you have a uh, pharmaceutical product that has a meat derivative inside of a pill. So do you have to wait six hours for that? Says Ramosha, of course not. Why not? Because both positions don't really apply. Both concerns don't apply. Number one, it doesn't taste like meat, so it's not going to be stuck in your mouth. Number two, you're not chewing the pill. Because you're not chewing the pill, therefore it's not going to get stuck in your teeth either. And in such a case, says Ramosha, even though it's true that the halach is you have to wait six hours between consuming meat and then going ahead and having milk, but if you have a pill, if you have a capsule, even if it has meat derivatives, that really would not be something that is relevant at all to this discussion that the Rishonim have. Isn't there a share of basar chamuk to mix it? Meaning? I mean, you have to have either a kazayas of uh, basar mixing with uh, whatever share you need. I mean, is it kosher? Um, basar b'chalav is not b'mashu. Chamas b'pesach is b'mashu. Right. However, by basar b'chalav, uh, by basar b'chalav, you're saying, why should there be a concern at all? Even so, even let's say it's true that we say if you have uh, a pot of chicken soup, right? That's the example everyone always gives. And a little bit of milk drops into it. So we say, butter b'shishim. So you have 60 times the amount of milk that went in. And therefore, it would be okay. Assuming it was a big pot of soup. Oh, so exactly. So although that's true that we have such an idea of bitl, of batal b'shishim, batal b'meya, by truma, different things. Here, when we talk about lechatchila, so we know that there's an iser in Yeridea, quoting the Gemara, it says, Ein You're not allowed to set up a system where you know that that's going to be the scenario. Right? So I can't have a pot of soup uh, cooking when I know that there's milk that's flying around the kitchen. Now, why is that happening? I don't know. You should get your kitchen under control. But still, that's, uh, that's, that's something that we generally don't do. So I would say the same would be over here, that we don't do this 
if we know that potentially this is going to be something that would have Vasa Bachalab mixing up together, that would be something that I would try not to do. Now, we have two reasons that the Rishonim say of why we should wait, but nowhere do the Rishonim explain how long that waiting period is supposed to be. All the Gemara tells us is that Marukva waited misuda lisuda. His father was a big tzaddik and he waited one day to the next. But he's not so great, so he waited just one suda to the other. Now, what does that mean? One suda to the other? The Baliatosis and the Mordechai, all the Baliatosis say, it's to be taken very literally. Finish up your suda, then say a birchas amazon, say a bracha and then you wash and you start again. Misuda lasuda. The Gemara says you just have to make some kind of separation. The assumption is by the time you finish one meal and now you're up to the next meal, it's good enough. Whatever you had in your mouth is already going to be gone and therefore there's no concern. It seems that the Baliatosas don't agree with Rashi or the Rambam. Why? If they held like the Rambam that were concerned for the bus or Ben Hashinayim, what does it help that you benched? You're still here and the stuff is still stuck in your teeth. So that wouldn't make sense. And if you hold like Rashi's reason that there's Tam Befiv, also a problem. Why? It's still there. So it seems the Baliatosas say... We have none of these concerns. We just believe that you have to have a noticeable hacker. Maybe the Baliatosa say like you, even if there is a little bit left. So what's the Vasa Shlecht? How bad is it going to be? So that's what the Baliatosa say. All you need to do is make some kind of recognizable separation between eating one and eating the other. And it would be sufficient if you just had a Birchas Amazon in between, a Bracha Achrona. That would be enough of a hacker, enough of a separation, and nothing more would need to be done. However, as we know, that is not the accepted opinion. We do not hold like the Baleatosis. The Ramah famously says, the Ramah was the father of uh, Chachme Ashkenaz, the father of Minig Ashkenaz as we know it today. So the Ramah says that in his community, the Minig was that they waited Shah Achas. They waited only one hour. There are many German communities that only wait one hour or they wait three hours. The Vilnagon says that this idea of the Ramah of one hour comes from the Zara Kodesh, but whatever it is, there were those who waited one hour based on the Ramah. Now, where does the idea come from to wait more than that? What is that all about? So the Rambam says that when we do this kind of separation, says the Rambam, you have to wait, Kimoshe shows, you have to wait around six hours. Now, my father likes to say that when he was in Shear by the Rav, they learned Yerodeh, you learned Yerodeh by the Rav. So he said that there was a Talmud in the Shear who said, oh, you know what the Rambam means, Kimoshe shows? The same way we have a concept, the same way we have idea of Miksa Sayam Kukulo. And on the seventh day of Shiva, we know that we chop off a day. In the beginning of Shiva, we also just a little bit, and that's fine. So, maybe that's what it means over here. Just like we have this concept of Miksa Sayam Kukulo, maybe we should say it here as well. Where does the whole din of Miksa Sayam Kukulo come from? You just learned it. From a Nazir. Right? Miksa Sayam Kukulo, we say by a Nazir as well, that says that Stam Nazir Shloshim Yom. When one takes a nether nazir upon him or herself, it's my father's question always is, can a woman be a nazir? What's the answer? Yes, how do you know? And why not is not the answer. Uh, no, uh, better than the Gemara. My father always asks us on the entry exam to the kolo, and why you? He asks, can a woman be a nazir? You, you went into the kolo yet? Okay, so you'll, now you know the answer. The answer is he wants to see if you do shnai mikra every week. So the Pasuk says, Ish o Isha. It says that a man or a woman who will take upon themselves the fale nether. If you take a nether of Naziris upon yourself. So he wants to know, did the Talmidim actually do Shnai Mikra every week? Do they know the Pesukim and Chumash? So that's his question. So the Torah says you can be a Nazir or a Nazira. A man or a woman can take a nether Naziris upon themselves. But let's say I don't specify how long I want to be a Nazir. It's not for the rest of my life. So I say, you know, let's imagine I would say that I want to be a Nazir. How long do I have in mind to be a Nazir? So the Gemara says, Stam Naziris Shloshim Yom. How do you know that? When I was in Nari Yisrael, 
So they have uh, in the high school in Nar Yisrael, they learn every year of high school, you learn a full Masechta Bikiyus outside of the Ian Masechta that you learn, and then you have a Masechta Bikina at the end of the year. The last two and a half weeks of the year, they stop everything, English classes are over, Hebrew classes are over, and everyone spends the entire day chazering the Masechta. You know it literally by heart. I think we did it 80 or 90 times in the last few weeks, me and my Chavrusa. I haven't learned Brachos since, and I know most of it by heart since then. It's really, uh, it's, it's an amazing phenomenon, and you come out knowing four Masechtas very, very well at the end of each year of high school. So they give you a Masechta Bechina with a hundred questions on the Masechta, closed book. So, uh, so you have to know it, and it's, it's very competitive. It's, very, uh, it's a great system. So anyway, so I remember one of the questions on the Masechta Bechina was, what is the only gematria on the whole Masechta? What? Yeah. Oh, so Yiyah. The Gemara says that we learn it from Kadosh Yiyah Gadol Pera Sa'arosho. The Torah says that when a person takes a Neddon Aziris upon themselves, it's Kadosh Yiyah, you are going to be a Kadosh. Says the Gemara, Yiyah is in higher mathematics, but Gematria, 30. And from there we learn, Stam Naziris Shloshim That's what we learn. Okay, so that's the Halacha that we learn from, uh, from the word Yiyah. But there the Gemara says, we have the concept of Mixasayam Kukulo. When you have a 30-day Naziris period, you can chop off a little bit at the end because once you've done a Nihug of Naziris on the 30th day, that would be good enough. In fact, my father likes to quote that some of the Rishonim, I think, I don't remember where it is, uh, maybe the Chuvas Onim, I don't remember exactly offhand, but he likes to quote it that they ask Akasha if we have a concept of Mixasayam Kukula that we apply by Naziris and by Shiva and by, by, um, by uh, let's say, uh, Shever Brachas, right? We don't say that, you, right? You don't have seven full days of Shever Brachas. So the question here is, why is it that by Shabbos we don't say the same thing? Observe a little bit of Shabbos. Shabbos morning, go to shul, and then go to work. Shabbos afternoon. Some people do, right? So the Gaonim actually said, "Why shouldn't this follow the same idea of Mixasayam Kukulo? You have a special day of Shabbos, just like you have a special day of Avelos, and we say we're going to knock off a little bit. We knock off a little Naziras, knock off a little Shabbos. So go to work. So, who said only one day is a, is a problem? Let, let me give you a test case. Let's say you have what we refer to as a Shmur Rechoka. Shmur Rechoka means somebody's close relative passed away and they weren't around. And now they hear about it way after the Yavelis is over. So the person already passed away, they were buried, the Shloshim is finished, and now this person finds out that a close relative of theirs passed away. How much Avelis do they observe? One day. They observe one day of Avelis. No? That's the test case. On that one day of Avelis, would we say, Kukulo, do a little bit of Avelis? The answer is yes. So why... Wouldn't we say it by Shabbos as well? Shabbos is only one day. It's two different things here. Yeah. By all the other cases you brought down, it's an external chiyuv. Correct. Nothing creates the chiyuv except an external thing. The Kaddish Baruch Hu, the Torah creates that chiyuv. Mm-hmm. It's not a physical chiyuv. Shabbos is every seventh day. It's, it's Whether you do anything or not, Shabbos is coming. So my father has a long piece to explain this where he says that the difference is that like you're suggesting, he, he develops it a little bit um, a little bit further, but he basically suggests that there's a difference between something that is superimposed onto the calendar and something that is fixed. You can't chop off a day of Shabbos. You can't say it's not Shabbos anymore. It is the seventh day of the week. When you're talking about something that is superimposed on the calendar, he proves why that's the case, why that should be the distinction, but you're very correct. So that's what he writes. So he said that Rav Salavechik was asked, maybe that's the reason why when you have to wait six hours, the Ramam says, you have to wait Kishe shows. Maybe the Ramam had around six hours. What? Into the sixth hour. Is that really what the Rama meant? And he said, or Salavechik laughed at that, and he said, what does Mixasayam Kakula have anything to do with this? 
The six hours is because it's a physical issue that we have to worry about. Are we concerned that you still have a taste of Basar Beficha? Are we concerned that you still have Basar Ben Ashinayim? It doesn't, this is not Mixus Hayom Kukula, this is Mitzios. We need to know. What? Oh, so why do you say like? So Rav Salavajik said the reason why the Ram said like is because similar to what the Ramam writes by Hilchas Chanukah. The Ramam there says, how long do the candles have to light, have to burn? Kimoj Chatzisha. What do you mean Kimoj Chatzisha? Either a half hour or not. The answer is they didn't have precise watches like we have today. So the Ramam saying, you know, we don't know exactly how to evaluate, how to imagine time. We think that it's about a half an hour from where the sun is shining to where the sun is going to be shining later. We assume it's around a half an hour for how long the Hanukkah candles need to be lit. We assume that it's around six hours that a person has to wait until they start eating chalav after they've already consumed basar. That's what the Ramah means. Nothing more, nothing less. That's what he means. That they didn't have the precise way to count. It's similar to what the Pishchei Tshuva has a very interesting suffix. Pishchei Tshuva wants to know if you're going to wait six hours between milchiks and fleishigs, or even if you're going to wait an hour between milchiks and fleishigs, go three hours, whatever your minig is, different minhagim in different communities, whatever you do, ask the Pischei Tshuva the following. We have a concept in Halacha that we refer to as Shoz Manios. What does Shoz Manios mean? You divide every day in 12. What do you mean you divide every day in 12? In the summertime, you divide every day in 12, it's not going to be the same as in the wintertime. So that means in the wintertime, you're going to have a 45-minute hour, and in the summertime, you're going to have an hour that's an hour and 15 minutes. Correct? But that's shows Manios. Shows Manios means the hour is not always going to be a 60-minute hour. It depends on the day. You basically take all the daylight hours and you divide it by 12. However long or short that is, that's what it means. So the Pischei Tshuva wonders. When we talk about shows Manios when it comes to Kriyashma and Tefillah and everything else that Halacha <coughs> recognizes with regard to Zmanim, what about with regard to waiting six hours for Basar and Chalav? Same as Shabbos, what? It's a physical, it's a physical thing. The exactly. So the Pischei Tshuva raises the issue, and I don't even understand what is he raising? What's the issue? How can he even be misupic about such a thing? When we talk about Shoz Manios, we're talking about what does the Halacha want me to do with regard to Kriyashma or Shmona Esrei or Tefillah in general? When does the Torah want me to dive in Mincha or Mayrev? That's one discussion. What is that of relevance to this discussion here? That's relative to, to that, but now we're talking about Bimitzius, physically. Do I still have Basar ben Ashinaim? What are you going to say? Oh, according to Shoz Manios, the Basar ben Ashinaim already came out. So in the winter time, somehow your teeth are not going to be able to hold on to the meat more than, you know, 45 minute hours, six hours. But in the summertime, no, no, it's going to last much longer. And in the summertime, our digestive system works differently that we're going to have that taste in our mouth that's going to linger longer because, or longer or shorter, winter, summer, doesn't make any sense. And therefore the Pischei Tshuva says, of course, when we talk about this issue, it has nothing at all to do with Shoz Manius. All we're concerned about is the hour as it is. But according to the Rambam, the way the Rambam explains it, there really was no reality like we have it today of exact timing of precision as we know today. And therefore that is why the Rambam says potentially that when you wait six hours, he means Kishay Shoz just means you should estimate when is the six hours up. Now some say that the Ramam actually means you don't have to wait a full six hours. That is the way some interpret, but that's not the way Rev Salavechik understood it. Yeah.